Chapter 23 of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey Daddy, I want to speak to you. To his eye there was but one beloved face on earth, and that was shining on him. Chapman Audrey never knew how long she sat there, shedding those healing tears, every one of which seemed to relieve her overcharged heart. It was a luxury to sit there in that cool, shadowed stillness. Presently she would rouse herself and go back to her world again. Presently, but not just now. By and by she would think it all out. She would question her own heart more closely. Hitherto she had feared any such scrutiny. Now it would be selfish, cowardly, to avoid it any longer. But at the present minute she was only conscious that she and everyone else were miserable. At this moment she heard footsteps crossing the courtyard. Then, to her dismay, they entered the lobby. She had only just time to drag down a book from the shelves and open it haphazard. It was a volume on natural history. Anyone would have thought her absorbed. She pored so attentively over that plate of gaudy butterflies, never raising her head to look at the newcomer, who stood a few yards off, regarding her with unqualified astonishment. Cyril Blake, for it was he and no other who had entered the library, would willingly have withdrawn without attracting her notice but one of the boys in the sanatorium wanted a certain fascinating book of adventures, and he had promised to fetch it. He knew the volume was in this very recess, and he saw with some annoyance that it would be necessary to disturb her. Miss Ross, he said in that quiet, guarded tone in which he always addressed her now, may I trouble you to move just for one moment? I am so sorry to disturb you, but Willie Taylor... And then he stopped, as though he were suddenly petrified. Audrey had risen quickly, but as she moved aside he had a full view of her face. The flushed cheeks and swollen eyelids told their own tale. "'Good heavens!' he exclaimed, forgetting his errand and speaking in excessive agitation. "'You are unhappy! Something is the matter!' And Cyril turned quite pale. Poor Audrey! Her feelings were not very enviable at that moment, that she should be discovered by the very person whom she was most anxious to avoid if he would only go away and leave her, and not stand there asking her questions. But nothing was farther from Cyril's intentions. For the minute he had forgotten everything except that she was unhappy. "'You are not well, or else something has been troubling you,' he continued, and his voice softened with involuntary tenderness. "'Miss Ross, you promised that we should be friends. Will you not treat me as one now? There is nothing I would not do to help you, if you would only tell me what, what is troubling you.' It is impossible, she returned with a little sob. Oh, if he would only go away and not speak to her so kindly. One must be troubled sometimes, and no one can help me, if you will only leave me to myself. Leave you like this? Yes, indeed. Indeed, I, I cannot talk. And Audrey wiped away the tears that seemed to blind her. She so seldom gave way, she so seldom permitted herself this feminine luxury of tears but when once she set them flowing they were simply uncontrollable. She could not help what Cyril thought of her. "'If you would only go away,' she repeated, turning from him as he stood there as though rooted to the spot. "'I cannot go,' and here Cyril's lips became quite white under his moustache. Some sudden intuition of the truth had come to him. Why had he not thought of that before? It had never even occurred to him. An hour ago he had met Molly wandering about the town disconsolately. Miss Ross was at the cottage, she had said, 
It was only a call, and she had taken the message herself, and then her mother had given her some errands to do, and had charged her strictly not to return for at least an hour. Mamma never likes me to be at home when Miss Ross comes, Molly had observed in an aggrieved tone. But Cyril had taken no notice of the speech. He knew his mother's little ways, and no suspicion of the truth had come to him. It was only the sight of Audrey's emotion that quickened it into life now. You have seen my mother, he exclaimed, and here his face grew dark and stern. She has been talking to you, making you unhappy. Miss Ross, as she remained silent, you must answer me. This concerns me very closely. I have a right to know if my mother has betrayed me. His tone frightened Audrey. You must not be vexed with her, she said, rousing herself to defend the absent. She is very unhappy, and of course it troubled me. Audrey spoke with her usual simplicity. What was the use of trying to hide it any longer? Cyril's impetuous pertinacity gave her no chance of escape. And she told you that I was going away. Audrey bowed her head. It was very wrong, he returned still sternly. Whom is a man to trust if he cannot trust his own mother? She has betrayed my confidence. It was cruel to me, but it was far more cruel to you. It is that I cannot forgive. No, no, you must not say that. She did not mean to be cruel, Mr. Blake. Of course, I ought not to have known this, and of course it has made me very unhappy. But now I must ask you something. Will you not wait a little? Things may be better, easier. And here she looked at him timidly, and her expression was very sweet. But Cyril was not looking at her. He was having a hard fight with himself. He was angry, justly angry, as he thought. Nay, more, he was humiliated that his mother should have appealed to this girl, that, knowing her kind heart, she should have inflicted this pain on her. The sight of her grief, her gentleness, almost maddened him, and he averted his eyes as he answered her. They cannot be easier, but do not mistake my meaning. Perhaps my mother has misled you. Let me put it right. No pain or difficulty is driving me away. Do not think that for a moment. However hard it might be to go on living here, I think I could have endured it, if I were only right to do so. But I have made up my mind that it is not right, and tomorrow morning I shall speak to Dr. Ross. Oh, no, no! And here Audrey clasped her hands involuntarily, but Cyril's eyes were fixed on some carrier pigeons fluttering across the courtyard. It is my duty to do it, and it must be done. If Dr. Ross questions me, I shall tell him the truth. I must go away because I have dared to love your daughter, and if I stayed here I should never cease from my efforts to win her. That is what I should tell him, Miss Ross. I think you will not press me to remain under these circumstances. And Cyril gave a bitter little laugh. Perhaps not. And here Audrey sank down upon her chair, for she felt weak and giddy. I am glad, at least, that you think I am doing right. I did not say so. Pardon me, and here Cyril did try to get a glimpse of her face, for something in her tone baffled him. You, who know all, must, of course, approve my conduct. If I stayed here, I could not answer for myself. It is better, safer, that I should go, though, wherever I am, here his voice trembled with exquisite tenderness. I must always love you. Then in that case you had better remain. Audrey tried to shield her face as she spoke, but he had seen a little tremulous smile flit over her features, and she could not hide her dimple. What could she mean? Was he fooling himself, dreaming? The next moment he had dropped on one knee beside her, and was begging her, with tears in his eyes, to look at him. This is a matter of life and death to me he implored, compelling her, by the very strength of his will, to turn her blushing face to him. Miss Ross, 
Audrey, his tone almost amounting to awe. You cannot mean that you really care for me. I'm afraid I do care too much to let you go, she half whispered. But as he grasped her hands and looked at her almost incredulously, Why is it so impossible? I think in a way I've long cared. But even then he did not seem satisfied. It is not pity. You're sure of that. It is nothing that my mother has said. Audrey, if I thought that, I would rather die than take advantage of you. Tell me, dear. And the pleading of his eyes was almost more than she could bear. You would not so humiliate me. No, Cyril, I would not. His name came so naturally to her, she hardly knew she said it. But a gleam of joy passed over the young man's face as he heard it, and the next moment he drew her towards him. Audrey took it all quite simply. She listened to her young lover's passionate protestation of gratitude, half shyly, half happily. The reverence with which he treated her touched her profoundly, did not overpower her with the force of his affection. After the first few moments of agitated feeling, he had quieted himself and her. I must not try you too much, he said. If I were to talk for an hour, I could never make you understand how happy I am. It is a new existence. It is wonderful. Yesterday I was so tired of my life, and today, today, Audrey. I am happy too, she said in a soft, contented voice. All these weeks have been so miserable. I seemed to miss you so. But you would have nothing to say to me. Do you remember that evening when you took my queen? Oh, how unhappy I was that night. And you saw it and went away. I did not go far, he returned, taking possession of one hand, the soft, white hand that lay so quietly in his. It was the only thing I could do for you, to keep out of your sight as much as possible. I walked up and down the road like a sentinel for hours. It did not seem possible to go home and sleep. I felt as though I never wanted to sleep again. I could only think of you in your white gown as you sat opposite to me, and how your hand trembled, and how cold it felt when I said good night. I thought it was all your goodness, and because you were sorry for me. Were you beginning to care for me a little even then, my darling? I do not know, she answered gently. You must not question me too closely. I hardly understand myself how it has all come about. No, he returned, looking at her with a sort of worship in his eyes, the worship with which a good, true woman will sometimes inspire a man, and which makes their love a higher education. It is all miracle. I am not worthy of you, but you shall see, you shall see how dearly I shall prize this precious gift. And then for a moment they were both silent. You will not now forbid me to speak to your father, he said presently, and a shade of anxiety crept into his voice in spite of his intense happiness. The thought of that interview somewhat daunted him. It was surely a daring thing for a junior classical master to tell his chief that he had won his daughter's affections. It was an ordeal that most men would have dreaded. Audrey seemed to read his thoughts. I hope I shall never hinder you from doing your duty, she said quietly. And of course you will have to speak to him. But, looking at him with one of her radiant smiles, you will find him quite prepared. Do you mean that you will speak to him first? Oh no, it is surely my prerogative to spare you this. But I do not wish to be spared, she returned happily. Cyril, I do not think you have any idea of what my father is to me, and I to him. Do you suppose I should sleep until I have told him? There has never been any secret between us. Even when I was a little child I would take him all my broken toys to mend, and if I fell down or cut my finger, 
and I was always in mischief. It was always father who must bind it up and kiss and comfort me, and with all his hard work he was never too busy to attend to me. I think in your place I would have gone to your mother. You must not be jealous, darling, if I tell you that I fell in love with her first. I am so glad, dear mother. Everyone loves her. But when Gage and I were children, I was always the one most with father. I think there is no one in the world like him, and Michael says the same. I must write and tell Michael about this. Oh, yes, he is like your brother. I remember you told me so. But, dearest, I must confess I am a little anxious about Dr. Ross. I am only a poor man, you know. He may refuse his consent. Audrey shook her head. Father is not like that, she said tranquilly. We think the same on these matters. We are both of us very impulsive. I have some money of my own, you know, not much. The Cyril's brow contracted a little. But enough to be a real help. But do not let us talk about that. I have never cared for such things. If you had not a penny in the world, you would still be yourself. Cyril Blake. Audrey looked so charming as she said this, that the cloud on Cyril's brow cleared like magic. And you do not think your father will be angry? Angry? Why should he be angry? Opening her eyes widely. He may be disappointed. Very probably he will be so. He may think I might have done better for myself. He may even argue the point a little. The great blessing is that one is not obliged to consult one's sister in such cases for— Looking at him with her old fun. I am afraid Gade would refuse her consent. Yes, I am afraid both Mr. and Mrs. Harcourt will send me to Coventry. To be sure they will, but I suppose even Coventry will be bearable under some circumstances. Oh dear, interrupting herself, do you see how dark it is growing? We have actually forgotten the time. I must really be going. I ought not to have kept you so long, he returned remorsefully. There you shall go. I will not detain you another moment. I think it will be better for you to go alone. I will stay here another half hour. I could not speak to anyone just now. I must be alone and think over this wonderful thing that has happened. Very well, she replied. But some minutes elapsed before the last goodbye was said. There were things he had forgotten to say. More than once, as she turned away, he detained her with some parting request. When she had really gone, and the last sound of her footsteps died away, he went back into the dusky room and threw himself down on the chair where she had sat and abandoned himself to a delicious retrospect. And it is true. It is not a dream, he said to himself when an hour later he roused himself to go back to the grey cottage. Oh, thank God that he has given me this priceless gift, if I could only be worthy of her, finished the young man with tender reverence as he crossed the courtyard and let himself in at the green door. Mrs. Ross looked at her daughter rather anxiously that evening. She thought Audrey was rather quiet and a trifle subdued. Geraldine and her husband were dining at Woodcott. Audrey, who had forgotten they were expected, was rather taken aback when she saw her sister and made her excuses a little hurriedly. She had been detained. All sorts of things had detained her. She had been to the great cottage and the library. She had not walked far enough to tire herself, this being the literal fact, as not a quarter of a mile lay between Woodcut and the cottage. Oh no, she was not the least tired, and she hoped Geraldine felt better. Much better, thank you, returned Geraldine with one of her keen glances, and then she somewhat elaborately changed the subject. Audrey was not subjected to any cross-examination. Indeed, there was something significant in Mrs. Harcourt's entire dearth of curiosity. But all the time she was saying to herself, Audrey has been crying. Her eyes are quite swollen, and yet she looks cheerful. What can it mean? What has she been doing? 
She has hardly had time to smooth her hair, it looks so rough. I wonder if Percival notices anything. I'm sure father does, for he keeps looking at her, and so on. It was Mr. Harcourt who was Audrey's bête noire that evening. He was in one of his argumentative moods, and could not be made to understand that his sister-in-law would have preferred silence. He was perpetually urging her to single combat, touching her up on some supposed tender point, in the hope of getting a rally. I suppose Audrey, who goes in for winds, writes so warmly, will differ from me if I say so-and-so. Or, we must ask Audrey what she thinks of that, my dear, she is a great stickler for feminine prerogative. And then he would point his chin, and a sort of sarcastic light would come into his eyes. It was a positive enjoyment to him, when Audrey rose to the bait, and floundered hopelessly into an argument. But on the whole, she acquitted herself ill. "'You are too clever for me to-night, Percival,' she said a little wearily, as he stood talking to her with his coffee-cup in his hand. "'I cannot think what makes men so fond of debating an argument. If they can only persuade a person that black is white, they go home and sleep quite happily.' "'It is such a triumph to make people see with one's own eyes,' he returned as though accepting a compliment. "'Have you ever read The Republic of Plato?' No, I should recommend it for your perusal. It is an acknowledged masterpiece. The reasoning is superb, and it is rich in illustrations. The want of women is that, with all their intelligence, they are so illogical. Now, if women only had the education of men— Harcourt, I think Geraldine is tired, and I would like you to take her home, observed Dr. Ross, interrupting the stream of eloquence. And Mr. Harcourt, without finishing his sentence, went at once in search of his wife. Women might be illogical, but they were to be considered for all that. With all his satire and love of argument, Mr. Harcourt valued his wife's comfort before his own. I am quite ready, dear, he said, as she looked up at him with a deprecating smile, and I know your mother will excuse us. Dr. Ross had walked with his daughter to the gate. Young Mrs. Harcourt was a woman who always exacted these little attentions from the menkind around her, without demanding them. She took them naturally as her right and prerogative. They would have seemed strange to her if her father had not offered her his arm. Goodbye, father dear, she said, giving him her firm, cool cheek to kiss. Percy and I have had such a nice evening. Dr. Ross walked back to the house, then he went to his study and lighted his reading lamp. There was a certain interesting debate in the Times, which he wished much to read. A ministerial crisis was at hand, and Dr. Ross was conservative to the backbone, was aware that his party was menaced. He had just taken the paper in his hand when Audrey came into the room. "'Good night, my dear,' he said, without looking up, but Audrey did not take the hint. "'Daddy, I want to speak to you,' she said very quietly. "'Will you please put that paper down for a moment?' And then she added, "'I want to speak to you very particularly.' Dr. Ross heaved a sigh and lowered his paper somewhat reluctantly. Would not another time have done as well, he grumbled good-humouredly. Harcourt has taken up all the evening. That is the worst of having an elderly son-in-law. One is bound to be civil to him. One could not tell him to hold his tongue, for example. I think Percival would resent such a hint, returned Audrey, rather absently. She had drawn a low chair close to her father's knee, so that she could touch him, and now she looked up in his face, a little pleadingly. Well, what is it, child? He went on, still fingering his paper. I suppose you want help for some protégé or other, moderation in all things. I warn you that I have not got Fortunatus's purse. 
"'Tis not money I want,' she returned so gravely that he began to feel uncomfortable. "'Daddy, it is something very, very different. This afternoon Cyril Blake spoke to me, and I—that is—we are engaged.' Dr. Ross gave a great start and dropped the times as though it burned him. For a moment he did not speak. With all his mildness and benevolence, he was a man of strong passions, though no one would have guessed it from his habitual self-control. "'We are engaged,' she repeated softly, and then she stroked her father's hand, but he drew it rather quickly away. "'Audrey,' he said in a voice that she did not recognize, it was so stern, so full of displeasure. "'I would rather have had anything than this, as a child of mine should so far forget herself as to engage herself to any man without her parents' consent.' "'Oh, Daddy,' she began caressingly, but he stopped her. "'It was wrong. It was what I would not have believed of you. Audrey, but with regard to Mr. Blake it was altogether dishonourable. How dared he—' Here the doctor's eyes flashed through his spectacles. "'How dared he win my daughter's affections in this clandestine way?' "'Father, you must not speak so of Cyril,' returned Audrey calmly, though she was a little pale, a little disturbed at this unexpected severity. "'It is not what you think.' There was nothing clandestine or dishonourable. He did not mean to speak to me. It was more my fault than his. You shall hear all, every word, from the beginning. Do you think I would hide anything from my father? And here two large tears whirled slowly from Audrey's eyes, but she wiped them away. Perhaps her gentleness and the sight of those tears mollified Dr. Ross, for when Audrey laid her clasped hands upon his knee, he did not again repulse her. Nay, more, when she faltered once in telling her story, he put his hand on her head reassuringly. Is that all you have to tell me, my dear? And now Dr. Russ spoke in his old, kind voice. Yes, father dear, you have heard everything now, and... and... beseechingly. You will not be hard on us. Hard on him, I suppose you mean, returned Dr. Russ with rather a sad smile. I still think he has acted rather badly, but I can make allowance for him better now. He was sorely tempted. But now I want you to tell me something. Are you sure that your happiness is involved in this, that it would really cost you too much to give him up? Audrey looked at her father with some astonishment. That wide, clear-eyed glance conveyed reproach. Do you think it necessary to ask me such a question? She said with a little dignity. Should I have engaged myself to any man without loving him? But he may have talked you into it. You may have mistaken your feelings, suggested Dr. Ross, but Audrey shook her head. I'm not a child, she said rather proudly. Father, you have always liked Mr. Blake. You can surely have no objection to him personally. Yes, but my liking did not go to the extent of wishing him to be my son-in-law, he replied with a touch of grim humour. In my opinion, Audrey, Mr. Blake is far too young. He is three and twenty, she pleaded. He is two months older than I am. What does age matter, father? He will grow older every day. I know some men are boyish at that age, but I think Cyril's life has matured him. Still, I would rather have entrusted you to an older man, and one who had in some measure made his position. Mr. Blake is only at the beginning of his career. It will be years before he achieves any sort of position. Audrey, you know me well enough by this time. I am not speaking of his poverty, though that alone should have deterred him from aspiring to my daughter. We think alike on these points and I care nothing about a rich son-in-law, but Mr. Blake has only his talents and good character to recommend him. He is far too young. He is poor, and his family has no social standing. But father, surely a good character is everything. 
How often I have heard you say what a high opinion his dean had of him, and what an excellent character he had borne at school and college, and then think what a son and brother he is. How unselfish, how hard-working. How could any girl be afraid of entrusting her future to him? Dr. Ross sighed. Audrey's mind was evidently made up. Why had he brought this misfortune on them all by engaging this fascinating young master, for he certainly looked upon it as a misfortune? After all, was it any wonder that Cyril Blake, with his perfect face and lovable disposition, had found his way to his daughter's heart? Why could he have not fallen in love with someone else? He groaned to himself, for Audrey was the very apple of his eye, and there was no one he thought good enough for her, unless it were Michael. Not that such an idea ever really occurred to him. Michael's ill health put such a thing out of the question. But Michael was his adopted son, and far above the average of men, in his opinion. Father, you will remember that my happiness is involved in this, Audrey said, after a little more talk had passed between them. You will be good to Cyril when he speaks to you tomorrow. Oh, yes, I will be good to him. And then Audrey laid her hot cheek against him, and thanked him as she bid him good night. But when she had gone... There were no debates read that night. Dr. Russ had too many thoughts to occupy him as he sat alone in his empty study.